3: It's a 23 and a half hour bang up. And I was in that jail for two years. So for two years, I saw half an hour outside of my soul.
0: This is A Bit of a Stretch, the podcast. I'm Chris Atkins, and I'm a filmmaker who was jailed for tax fraud in 2016. I got sentenced to five years, served two and a half, and I've written a book about my time in Wandsworth Prison, also called A Bit of a Stretch. In jail, I met loads of fascinating characters. And since I got out, I've recorded over 20 conversations with ex-prisoners. Their stories are heartbreaking, uplifting, funny, shocking and often downright weird. The names have been changed, but their voices are real. They'll take us headfirst into the worst prison crisis in history and reveal a broken system that is failing victims and the wider public. Each episode is centred around a different theme. This one is all about mental health in prison and the work of the listeners. When I first arrived in Wandsworth, I was shocked by the huge number of inmates who were mentally ill. Some had severe pre existing conditions, like schizophrenia or bipolar disorder, but many others actually developed problems while they were inside.
3: It was a shock to me, you know. Everyone goes, oh yeah, prison's nothing, prison's nothing. Yeah, it is something, mate. From living the life I was living, literally one second to another second, bang, fighting nearly every other day, Have have to go to the shower with a weapon to protect myself.
0: This is Tony. We've met him in previous episodes. In his first month in Wormwood Scrubs, he got into a dispute over a chicken leg and broke someone's arm in front of several officers. Did you feel after the the, sort of the incident with the chicken leg, there might be reprisals or...
3: There was reprisals. I had three, four fights after that. Random people were just coming and attacking me. And then I found out afterwards, oh, it's that guy's friend. The guy had a fight with his friend. So you didn't even know who they were? They didn't even know who they were. They didn't even know who they were. Every emotion gets magnified, You're sitting there cell 23 and a half hours. Oh, shit, who's coming tomorrow? Oh, what's going to happen? Oh, what are they going to do? Anxiety. Right. The anxiety, anxiety was worse man. than the actual worse thing. Worse than the actual thing that happened. Normally you feel, you, you feel happy the door getting unlocked so you can go get on the phone, go get a shower. Mate, I dreaded that door getting unlocked. I, I hated it. Why? Because I didn't know what the fuck's going to happen. I don't know who's going to try charge to my cell. One time I didn't shower for like over two months because I didn't want to go to the showers. Dare I ask what it smelled like? Disgusting. Disgusting, man. I, I looked and smelled like a fucking, like a tramp, like a homeless person. Because you thought in the shower could be where yeah, it happens. That, that's where it does happen. That's where it does happen. I was having a shower and this little black guy was stabbed with an actual knife, like a knife knife, not a prison knife, a knife from outside. What's the difference? So a prison knife, like for example, yeah, I can get a plastic spoon, put my arm out my window and sharpen the handle into a spike. If someone to stick that in you, it'll go in you, not do much damage. Or you can melt a toothbrush bristle and, and attach a razor blade to it. A kitchen knife, for example, yeah, if you use to plunge it in someone, they're going to die. So in this
0: attack, someone had a real knife.
3: And I see this guy get plunged nine, nine, ten times, and the other guy had done it. Yeah, got got nicked for attempted murder, in jail, in a shower. And you were there while that. I was there in the shower while it happened. I thought they're coming for me. You could be the biggest, hardest guy in the world, yeah, bro. Paranoia and anxiety will get will get you at some stage, like in prison, hundred percent, hundred percent, and it's so unhealthy. I was constantly at a low. There's a few times i thought about taking my own life. That's how low I was. I'd rather have not existed than been in that situation. Prison suicides
1: are
0: at an all-time high. There were 91 self-inflicted deaths in 2019, 23% up on the previous year. Like everything else in prison, mental health treatment has been severely cut in recent years. Often, the only help available is from the listeners. In Wandsworth, I worked as a listener for six months and we were trained by the Samaritans to help other inmates who were suicidal, self-harming or just severely distressed. The listeners are the Samaritans within the prison
4: population and they do an enormously valuable job.
0: This is Christopher. He was 70 when he was given five years for tax fraud... And he was the head listener while I was in Wandsworth.
4: It was just there, like the Samaritans, to listen and to ask non-leading questions to get the prisoner to think about other alternatives than self-harm or killing themselves, or to just listen to their moans and groans because there's nobody else who will. My very first job as a listener, very, very first job, I was walking around somebody in the cell called me over and said, could I get a guard? This boy stood up and showed me a knife wound or a wound that had been caused, in fact, by the lid of a tin of sardines, cutting his throat. And there was a gash and blood pouring from it. Blood everywhere. That was my first experience. And after that, I have to say, it didn't get any worse. I know we were given training. You are never given training. And we something. were suddenly just thrown in at the deep end. My desperation was I'm sitting here, upwards of two hours, four yards away from somebody who could be dying with a metal door in between, and nobody gives a damn. Just watching someone bleed to death. I was powerless. It was that rather than the detail of the blood that I think that affected me. Because I don't know how I coped with it. I just knew I had to deal with it
0: because that was the job. The first listener scheme was introduced in Swansea prison in 1991. It was highly successful and has since grown into nearly every prison in the UK. After a month's training, listeners are put on a rotor and are available for calls over a 24 hour
2: period. Quite frequently people had mental health issues
0: and felt that they weren't on the right kind of medication. This is Dan. He got nine years for a white collar offence so served four and a half, and was a listener for most of that time. There were
2: drug addicts that were coming down. There were regular drug takers. They frequently found themselves actually getting into debt. They were then being threatened and bullied and being told to actually maybe courier materials themselves. And that was leading to depression, um, suicidal thoughts, self-harming. Interestingly, a uh, listener like a Samaritan, and a lot of people are confused by this, um, don't provide advice because what I think might be right might not be right for him. Because he says to you, they're telling me to bring in some spice.
0: What should I do? Internally, I'd be thinking, that sounds like a bad idea. So you had to be careful not to say, goodness sakes, mate, don't do it.
2: What I tend to do is help them to actually evaluate what the consequences were of each of the choices they could make. Sometimes people that are in a very dark place believe that there are no choices and no options available to them. So helping people to actually think through options sometimes actually helps people to come up with a solution themselves and that's ultimately one of the things we like.
0: When I was in Wandsworth, the demand for listeners grew and grew. Over Christmas 2016, I was seeing up to five prisoners a day. Some of them were just bored and wanted to chat. Others had untreated mental health problems. And a few were really at the end of their rope.
5: Listeners had to pick up everything. These guys have got any problems, they need to to commit suicide. They would call us and we would go and talk to them. And I thought that was a bit hard, because I haven't sorted myself out yet. This is
0: Leroy. He got six years for drugs offences. We trained as listeners at the same time and then he worked on a different wing in Wandsworth.
5: And then I realised that knew a lot What's coming in, they're going to need help.
0: Because some of them are like kids. Yeah,
5: yeah, they're young and they shouldn't be in there. On the landing, any kids I see, give them a little nudge. Yeah, what's happening? You alright? Give them a bit of help. Any problems, come and see me. I will come and see them in the morning before I go to my classes to make sure they're alright.
0: And people have said to me, So what did you do as a listener? What did you do? And you just like I just listened. Just I mean li-
5: you just I, listen. And let people in you just listen to what they've got to come out of their mouth. My girlfriend don't care, I can't see my kids. You listen to they tire themselves out. And they just drain it they all. Drain it out and then they said, Oh I really thank thanks for listening to me. Like, and that's that's what I'm here for. And that's all you've done. That's all I've it's done. Half an half. And the officers ain't got time for that. No.
0: The whole prison environment seems almost designed to undermine mental health. What might seem like a small problem on the outside gets exponentially magnified as people sit in their cells, endlessly
3: ruminating. Your brain is your best friend and your worst enemy. Tony again. You overthink things. But your girlfriend might not answer the phone. It could be something as simple as she's putting the kid to bed, she's having a shower, you know, like the TV's loud or, you know, just normal things where if it was outside, you wouldn't think nothing of it. In there, oh, she's cheating on me. Oh, she's going out. Oh, she's talking to someone. Oh, who's she with? Why is she not answering the phone? Do you know what I mean? It's like something so simple, you magnify it times a, times a million. You create a situation in your head that don't really exist. It causes mental health issues. It makes you mentally unwell. Talk about routine, because that's something that you've brought oh, up a few man. times. Was it important inside? So important, man. If I was to move cells, I'm fucked for like three months. I'm fucked. I don't brush my teeth. I don't shower. Not because I'm dirty or I don't want to. Just because I have no routine. And it affects everything. From times I eat, times I sleep, um, make, making my fucking bed. I know it sounds stupid, but something as trivial as moving cell. Yeah, that was a big thing for me. Yeah, man. it made it has been. It fucked me up. It's the ripple effect. One little boom, move and ripple effect. Everything gets affected.
0: Yeah, people called out listeners for all sorts of different reasons. Sometimes it was because their routine was messed up. The next caller might be experiencing a psychotic episode. But it was rare that their distress was anything to do with their actual offense. And quite often, we had no idea what a prisoner was inside for. Because often when people came in, you didn't know what they were in for, did you?
2: No. Well, um, one of the prisons that I was at for a while, there was a vulnerable prisoner's wing. And they were vulnerable either because they'd got themselves debted up, and also the sex offenders. They tend to be segregated from the main population. Why, Why is that? The sex offenders are deemed to be the lowest of the low, and if they were in general population, the potential risk of them being attacked is very high. So sort on of like a completely different wing. It's almost a prison within a prison. I was one of a couple of people amongst a team of 20 listeners that actually said that I was actually happy to go onto that wing and receive calls. So what, some of the other listeners just didn't want to do it? Correct. They're like, I'm not helping Nonsense. Yeah. A lot of the guys just didn't feel comfortable around convicted sex offender. I don't think I would feel comfortable.
0: (laughs) You can understand.
2: Yeah, I can. can. My view was that regardless of why the person was in prison, um, that that probably wasn't related to why they were feeling depressed or suicidal and they needed support as much as anybody else. It wasn't my job to judge them. Um, Effectively, everyone that was in there had already been judged. That wasn't my role. My role was to provide them with some emotional support. It could be a problem with an officer, um, it could be a problem at home. It's not often the offence. It's very infrequently the offence, and that would be true, I think you'd agree, for the general population as well. Five or ten percent of calls where somehow it was related to uh, the reason they were in there, at which point they did go through their offence. When that happened, did your stomach churn sometimes? When you've heard pretty harrowing stories, um, that's difficult to cope with sometimes. Did you find it difficult? Yeah, I I did. And there were guys that I saw for half a dozen sessions. Really? Yeah. Sometimes it was three, four hours. In one session? Which is emotionally draining. For you?
0: Yeah. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theatres, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? Because there were times while I was sitting with someone and I was just thinking, this guy is a total scumbag. One guy told me how he'd beaten up his wife. I did feel conflict at times. Did you ever feel that? Yeah, there were certainly callers
4: who felt uh, it was a waste of time. There were people there and I thought, are they worth saving? And at the end of the day, that was where the training kicked in because we were told you cannot judge these people. So even the worst that I had, quite often, as you said, they weren't likable people. But if for a hundred calls you saved one life, it's worth it.
0: I'm often asked whether I felt threatened doing this work, and in truth, this was pretty rare. I was the only person in the prison giving these guys a sympathetic ear, so they were unlikely to turn on me. I got locked in with caller and another listener
4: fortunately and we were there for three hours because a riot was going on and there was no officer to unlock the door and take us out. The caller who had been aggressive when he came in was calmed down but if he'd lost it there was nothing we could have done. He was a big man and we were two small listeners. It was taxing, it was fascinating, it was amazing when somebody in a terrible state ended the conversation with a smile. But it was
0: equally shattering when it didn't. When I arrived in Wandsworth, it had the highest suicide rate in the UK. But it's not just about the numbers, and behind each statistic is a heartbreaking story. So I want to tell you about one of these tragedies, which illustrates everything that is going wrong with the way the prison system treats vulnerable young men.
5: If the system gets you in there, it's game over. Here's Leroy again. If the system gets you, like, I don't care no more, I don't care, no one cares, you want to go, you'll go.
0: Osvaldos Pegiris, an 18-year-old from Lithuania, was arrested for stealing sweets and imprisoned in Wandsworth for three months. Leroy was one of the last people to see him alive.
5: I really warned him. How do you mean you warned him? I warned him. I said, gov, he needs help. He's trying to fit in. Did, did he speak to him? Did you try and... But you can't communicate with somebody if they do not speak your language. So he just didn't speak any English? Didn't speak any English.
0: Now, the police had warned the prison that he was mentally ill. So, as Valdis was assessed by a mental health nurse. But as there wasn't an interpreter present, she concluded that there was nothing wrong with him.
5: Because before he tried to... He tried to hang himself on the landing before. So
0: when he was on the wing, he tried... He tried it
5: before. So him. obviously, he's on a suicide watch now. So he should have been somewhere where they'd been watch, constantly watching him. While Osvaldo
0: was in Wandsworth, he was found with a noose on five separate occasions. Rather than treating his mental illness, the prison decided to punish him instead
5: and sent him to the segregation block.
0: Because they took him to the block, didn't they? Yeah,
5: and then three days later, he was gone. It was pretty sad.
0: Oswaldes was found hanging in the segregation block and died shortly afterwards. A year later, an inquest was held into his death, which uncovered some remarkable evidence.
1: With the help of the family, we were able to get hold of CCTV footage of the area where Oswaldus was in his cell. This is Mark
0: Sigsworth, the producer of an ITV investigation into the prison crisis. He got hold of CCTV footage from the segregation block on the day as Valdus
1: died. So you could clearly see that when he presses his button to ask for help, that there's a light that's flashing to draw attention of the officers. There is also a camera that is in the sort of staff room. Where, as well as a flashing light, there would be some sort of noise, some, to attract, some beep or something, something saying, yes, right, to attract right, the attention right, okay. of the officers.
0: So, as far as the light was flashing, but yes. they weren't
1: attending to him. No, they were not. They were, they seemed to just be ignoring his light and, and doing other things around the corridor. There was an officer who went into the staff room who appeared to be watching the television. We couldn't see what was on the television, but through examining all the time codes and uh, piecing it together with television schedules, the time that the officers sat down to watch the television coincided with the Loose Women programme on ITV.
0: So we think she was watching Loose Women?
1: It seems quite likely.
0: Officers are supposed to respond to emergency bells within five minutes, especially if a prisoner is at high risk of suicide. Instead... The officer sat watching daytime TV until Osvaldus was finally discovered 37 minutes after he called for help. The inquest found that this delay contributed to the
5: teenager's death. They just left him in a system. It was pretty horrible. And what was that like for you when you heard that? it was sad for me. It was sad, it was sad for me because the guy was, was, he was young in his prime, it was sad. Forget his culture or where he was from. That could have been my little cousin or something. Did
0: you know what his offence was.
5: Yeah, he stole some sweets. Stole some sweets. Yeah, out of a shop. The listener's job is not an easy job.
0: Listening was extremely draining work emotionally and it took a significant toll on me. The most distressing callers were the teenage boys who were closer to my son Kit's age than my own.
4: I felt that you were actually getting yourself into a into a state that
0: you were going to need to, to call out a listener. There's one specific caller I had who was very, very, very young. I think he was 18, and he'd been self-harming and swallowing razor blades and, and refusing to eat. And I got extremely upset. And you did take me aside and said, look, you can't take on everyone's problems. You needed an older head saying, Chris, just
4: chill a bit uh we do have to take it seriously but not at personal risk it was a long period of hard
0: pain i was relieved when it was over although i didn't want it to be over i do want to talk about that and you 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 can tell me to piss off but everyone was trying to get on the bus to open prison and open prison is just obviously radically different from where we were in wandsworth and you kept getting passes to go on the bus you kept turning down I wasn't desperate
4: to get out of Wandsworth because I liked having things to do and a purpose, and I had a purpose in Wandsworth.
0: Christopher is the only prisoner I've ever met who refused an opportunity to go to open prison. These places are like holiday camps compared to closed prisons. Offenders have far more privileges, can work out in the community and even visit their families at home. But Christopher chose to turn all that down. He'd been listening for over a year and didn't want to leave Wandsworth, where there were so many people who needed his help. I think the reason why I wanted to stay in Wandsworth
4: was because I was incredibly busy. I never had time to think about where I was because I was thinking about what do I do next. When you go to prison, you feel that you've let everybody down. And I felt that I was able to contribute and I don't know whether it was a calling or whether I I got some kick out of helping other people. I don't know. I just felt that I was useful. And being useful, I wanted to carry on doing it as long as people wanted me to do it. Eventually, they made me go. They told me that it was either on the bus or in the block. Solitary confinement with nothing and lose all privileges in amongst the rats and vermin. It was a no-brainer. I had to go, and so did. I felt much better for myself and had atoned. It was turning the most god-awful experience into something less god-awful and quite useful.
0: Christopher really didn't like open prison. There was very little to do and there was no drama. And he often said he'd much rather be back in Wandsworth. While editing this episode, I was contacted by Dr. Shohan Das, a mental health specialist who actually works in Wandsworth as well as other prisons. We had a discussion about how he deals with the most vulnerable and dangerous offenders in the system.
6: I am a consultant forensic psychiatrist, which is the kind of crossroads between offending and uh, severe mental health. I just happened to have seen a case in Wandsworth on Monday that's just been... One of the reasons that you see so many people that are unwell is because it's usually an uphill struggle to get people who need to be detained under the Mental Health Act into secure units because the waiting lists are just uh, eye-wateringly long.
0: There were some guys who would, like, they'd been repeatedly self-harming, they'd been repeatedly attacking officers, they'd been repeatedly smashing up their cells, and they would just be given, like, a 28-day punishment
6: or sent to the block.
0: I just remember thinking to myself, how mad you have to be to actually
6: get, <laughs> to actually get some proper treatment? Not everybody who's uh, aggressive or who lashes out, obviously, is mentally unwell. I think it's quite hard for non-professionals to tell. So I don't mm-hmm. think the average prison officer knows or is trained to spot mental illness versus just a difficult prisoner. And then once it's actually recognised, the first step is to try and treat prisoners within the prison.
0: There were people there who were not getting any kind of, I mean, I know because I saw them day in, day
6: out, and the only treatment they were getting was self-medicated, which was spice. I don't think there's, there's any way you can dress it up differently. I think that mental illness is rife in prisons and people don't get treatment, enough people don't get treatment. Does prison itself make you mentally unwell? It does for the vast majority of people. So it can either start new uh, mental illnesses Anxiety and depression are the most obvious ones. Or it can cause relapses when somebody already has a mental illness and has managed to go into remission, then just the process of uh, lack of freedom, uh, bullying, drugs, intimidation. And obviously, as you know,
0: in some prisons, like Wandsworth, when I was there, the vast majority of prisoners are locked in a cell for 23 hours a day. And, and so, does excessive bang up cause more mental problems?
6: Absolutely. Without any kind of routine or structure um, and any kind of variety to your day, then that's going to exacerbate any uh, most mental illnesses that you have. As mental health staff, we also uh, feel the disadvantages of bang-up as well. So there's been a few occasions where I would go to assess them, and due to a lack of staffing, they just couldn't open the door. So I had to try and carry out a psychiatric assessment through the small uh, window. So uh, I absolutely can appreciate the frustrations of Bang Up, and it's, it's frustrating as a mental health professional trying to work around it.
0: I saw some terrible things in Wandsworth, but I'm still glad I did all that listening. The experience definitely changed me and made me much more humble and empathetic. But unfortunately, prison ends up changing most people for the worse and exacerbates the issues that drive their offending. So that's what we're going to talk about in the next episode. How can prisoners change themselves for the better and stop the cycle of reoffending? If you put any human into a cage for a year,
2: they will become an animal. So I monitor your flaws and I play with
3: that. That's literally how prison is. He was willing to put his shame on the line. And he did brilliantly, he did really well. This has
0: been A Bit of a Stretch, the podcast. It was written and produced by me, Chris Atkins. It was also produced by Victoria Hollingsworth. The music is by Vincent Watts. The sound mix was by Stephen Goldsmith. Since this podcast was recorded, some of these contributors have gone back inside, some of them several times. So I've written another book to find out why so many ex-prisoners re-offend again and again. It follows a colourful cast of criminals who just can't go straight, some of whom you'll recognise from this podcast. The book is called Time After Time and it's available now.